Hello everyone! Nice to see you. Thanks for joining me once again for our wacky romp through the pagan holidays, aka the Sabbaths. <laughs> Please let me know that you can um, you can see me, you can hear me, all that good stuff. Thanks for throwing candles in the chat. Appreciate it. Nice to see you all again. Um, we will get started here in just a sec. Uh, not going to dilly-dally too much uh, before this class starts, because as usual, we have a lot to talk about. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, yeah, that's it. Thanks for being here. Appreciate it. Glad, glad you're here. Glad to see you. Thanks for joining me for the stream. Um, this has been a... This has been a hell of a season. <laughs> I don't know about this Yule season. I'm like, all right, you know what? You're usually my favorite. <laughs> I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> I'm hoping you can all see me and hear me just fine. Yay. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining yourself. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's just jump right in. Well, you know, there's always like the preamble on the preamble, right? <laughs> of course. <laughs> we never like literally jump right in. But um, all the same. Um, uh, we are going to talk about in bulk a.k.a. Candle Mass tonight. This is one of the eight uh, traditional-ish <laughs> um, pagan sabbats. Uh, Greg does not get a candle. Aw, wah, wah, wah. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> um... We are going to, hey, the volume is on, on my phone. Let me go ahead and turn that off. Thanks. Thanks, YouTube. Thank you for letting me know that I'm streaming right now. <laughs> ah, the robots, the robots have been mostly behaving, but they have been out to get me a little bit lately. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not going to mess with you anymore because AI is here and we're all screwed. So <laughs> there's nothing to be done for it now. <laughs> All right, we're going to be talking about in bulk tonight, a.k.a. Candlemas. Uh, the usual preamble is this. If this is uh, your first time here, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Um, this lecture is going to go for about two hours. So please and thank you. Um, go grab yourself some water, put on some tea, another type of beverage if you like. If you enjoy something else, get that ready for yourself. Um you might want to grab or pull up a copy of your natal chart. You might want to grab some tarot for just studying. You might want to grab a journal for taking notes. Um, but you know how you learn best and how you absorb this material best. So if you're cooking dinner, that's great. If you're folding laundry, that's great. If you're cleaning the house while I'm rambling in the background, that's totally legitimate too. Um, do as you see fit. Uh, for folks who are 
um, supporting this work. Thank you so much. Um, uh, you guys are at you. You're the, you're why this is happening. So <laughs> you can interpret that how you see fit. <laughs> this is all your fault. Um, but uh, if you are um, a subscriber to my Patreon, um, I apologize, I haven't uploaded the newest stuff yet, but the workbook from last year is there. I uh, need to upload the latest calendar. But if you are not a subscriber, if you uh, subscribe to my Patreon at the Venus level and higher, that's $9 a month and higher, you get access to the workbook that I will be referring to throughout class, um, as well as a six to eight week calendar um, this is the stuff that I refer to in my weekly podcast. I know a lot of you folks find me through my podcast first and then come and check out the rest of the stuff that I'm doing. Um, that's where all of that information comes from is those workbooks. Um, you can get access to those as a Patreon subscriber as a means of me saying thank you to you for supporting this work. Um, and uh, what else? I'm Megan Angus. That's probably on a headline somewhere on this video. Uh, <laughs> I am the host of Spinning the Wheel podcast, a weekly podcast that you can find on all platforms. Um, I teach these classes here on YouTube as live streams, mostly. Um, and what else do I do? <laughs> it seems like too much sometimes. <laughs> Uh, I see clients. I do astrology readings, tarot readings. Um, if that's something that you're wanting to investigate, come check me out. I've got a lot of information about me on my website, meganangus.com. Um, all right, that's enough of that. Uh, these classes are taught on unceded ancestral Duwamish territory. So many thank yous to the Duwamish tribe. Uh, for taking care of this land for, you know, approximately 12,000 years before the white people showed up. Um, if you are in the Puget Sound area and you would like to thank those folks, you can pay rent uh, by heading to Real Rent Duwamish um, while they are working on receiving federal recognition for their tribe, which they haven't yet. Strangely enough, in a city as powerful and rich as ours, we just haven't quite found a way to grant federal recognition to that tribe. I'm, I'm sure it's just an oversight, knowing how diligent our country is and our government is around making sure that Native Americans are taken care of. So uh, you can go to uh, change.org and sign a petition. They're working on getting 150,000 signatures uh, to encourage our federal government to grant federal recognition to the Duwamish tribe. Uh, you can pay a one-time rent or uh, make it a monthly fee. Um, and uh, these classes uh, definitely support that work. Um, and we say thanks to those folks. Um, what else? Um, as I said in the podcast this week, um, we are, uh, sending love to the folks in California, um, who are, you know, dealing with some really terrible mass shootings. Um, but we are sending love to the rebellions across the planet right now. We're sending love and power out to Atlantic City, to the forest defenders that are fighting against Cop City. We are sending love and power to the folks in France who are fighting for, um, you know, we're fighting against 
uh, retirement age being pushed back by two years. We are sending love and power to the folks in South America who are fighting against a dictatorship, fighting against uh, the continue, uh, continued destruction of the rainforest and the displacement of the indigenous tribes there. Um, and as I, as I said in the podcast, and I don't want to get too far afield with this because we're going to get into the class, but um, we just had the sun move into Aquarius. We just had the new moon move into Aquarius. And so this is a time for revolution. It is a time for rebellion. And it is a time for us to think about um, in the short term, in the medium term, and in the long term, what our personal uh, relationship is to these movements. Um, they're not going away anytime soon. This is the era that we live in. It's an era of upheaval. It's an era of breaking down the things that have become concretized and calcified in our worlds. And we're going to talk about that stuff more in this class, but it is a time period of that. And it is exceptionally holy work. It's also very destabilizing. So it can be holy and frightening at the same time. Acknowledge that. Say that to yourself. Let yourself feel both of those things. This is incredibly important. Also, I'm scared by it, or I'm destabilized by it, or I'm set on edge by it. And also, I see where it's necessary, right? So it's okay that we live in a time period um, where both of these things are true at the same time, as I think, in my opinion, um, as pagans, as witches, as heathens, as magicians, as, you know, whatever it is that we refer to ourselves as, labels are internally important, externally important sometimes, right? Um, but whatever it is that we call ourselves, wherever it is that we see ourselves in that work, it's the work that's here to be done and, and has to be engaged. And it is a part of the times that we live in. Um, and again, it's not going anywhere anytime soon. Uh, and it might get weirder before it gets less weird. You know, like it might get a little more destabilized, a lot more destabilized before we actually are able to build things. We may really have to tear some stuff down for a while. Um, so you know, my hope with this work in these classes is that I give you something to um, hold on to in those moments that feel very destabilized. Um, and it's, I'm hoping to give you something that is millennia old. <laughs> that is something that our ancestors and our great ancestors and our great great ancestors, you know, going back hundreds of thousands of years, potentially held on to as a means of um, finding some stability in times when they didn't know what was coming next, but they knew that they had to participate in its arrival. Okay. Um, so let's get into it, shall we? <laughs> yes, we're starting off with a leftist rant. Welcome. Hi, it's my brand. If you're new here, <laughs> this is what we do. <laughs> Stay hydrated, kids. That's the real key to it. Okay, this is uh, one, one more, one more little preamble moment. Um, I, and I say this in a lot of the classes, so you, if there's no one new here, that <laughs> you've all heard this before. Um, but I will refer to goddess and God 
I do not see uh, the the world in just black and white, I, in just the duality. I do see a pantheon, pantheon of deity. Um, but this is shorthand. Um, and goddess and god is a, a, a vocabulary that a lot of pagans work with. Um, and some pagans work with all the gods. Some pagans work with just a selection of the gods and goddesses. Uh, but also about that. When I say goddess, sometimes I am referring to people with vaginas. Uh, but usually I am referring to archetypes and beings and humans and states of being um, that are about yearning, that are about drawing in, that are about gestation, that are about being the place where something is formed, um, being the creator of a thing, being the producer of a thing. And when I talk about gods, sometimes I am talking about entities or people with penises. Uh, however, oftentimes I'm talking about archetypes, states of being, people, etc., etc., that are expressing thrust energy and extrovert energy, that the energy in all of us that goes out into the world to go get what it wants, that creates and produces in that uh, form of energy. So these are states of being that all humans have access to. Um, in some realms of paganism, in some realms of witchcraft, our language can be very, very gendered. And, um, and that's something that I hope to participate in evolving um, as part of, you know, there's lots of stuff in witchcraft and, and paganism that needs to be evolved. And that's just par for the course. That's not necessarily a commentary on anything being particularly bad or problematic about paganism or witchcraft, just that it's an evolving collection of traditions and beliefs and philosophies. So I hope to participate in the evolution of that stuff. And I hope that you participate in it too. <laughs> if through nothing else, being and doing <laughs> and living your life. Okay. In this class, we are going to talk about in bulk slash candle mass. Uh, this is um, the next Sabbath. Uh, there is no particular order to the Sabbaths as much as some traditions like to say that there are. Um, although, I mean, you could argue that a lot of the Sabbaths collections start with uh, Samhain, but plenty of them don't. Plenty start at Ostara, plenty start at some other point in the wheel. It's a wheel, right? So there is no beginning, there is no end. Um, this is the Sabbath that comes after Yule. Yule is connected to winter solstice, and that is the beginning of winter season. That is the shortest day of the year or days of the year and the longest nights of the year. And that season, that Sabbath, kicks off a, a chunk of the year where we are truly going through the underworld journey. That underworld journey in some traditions starts at Samhain. For some traditions, it starts all the way back at Mabon or Mabon, which is fall equinox. Um, and for others, it starts at winter solstice. The underworld journey is literally thought of as uh, the low part of the solar cycle. And, um, and this, um, this solar cycle uh, dips and sways and rises and falls. And 
in the process of this, we too are going to increase and decrease. We're going to expand and we're going to contract. You, uh, I would definitely say that at Yule season, it's a pretty big uh, expansion, actually. Even though we're going into the dark, we're sort of like opening up to what's this whole winter gig going to be about. And at Imbolc, it's a type of uh, contraction. And or you could see it the opposite way. Play with that metaphor. So what are we doing at Imbolc season that's so different from winter solstice? Well, at winter solstice, um, we're coming off of the high of Samhain. And I know I keep going backwards in time and referring to past classes, but it's because they're all interconnected. They're all interwoven. This is an ongoing process that we're in. Um, and at Samhain, we really begin to dip into the dark and spooky stuff starts to come out of our own subconscious, honestly. It's, it doesn't come from anywhere else. Um, and at Yule season, we sort of collectively as, as a species kind of look at each other and go, okay, wow, this is like really dark. It's really spooky here. Uh, the sun appears to be dying. Um, what are we going to do about this? And a lot of traditions hold still. A lot of traditions stop and they, they, you know, enjoy in place. <laughs> they party in place. Um, they pull in their stores, they pull in their supplies, they pull in, you know, a giant pile of logs and, and wood, and they just hunker down uh, for several weeks. Depending on where you are on the globe in the Northern Hemisphere, this chunk of time that Yule sort of kicks off might last a few weeks to a few months. Uh, the closer you are to the equator, the sooner it's going to start to warm up. The closer you are to the North Pole, the longer you're going to have to go before you see any dramatic increase in uh, temperature around you. But one of the scientific phenomena that is occurring during Imbolc season is that the days are getting longer. They are still shorter than the nights, but they are getting longer. And one of the names for Imbolc season, uh, let's see what order I put my slides in this time, which is work first. Let's go to other names. Um, do I even have it here? No, I don't. It doesn't matter. All right, let's go back. <laughs> Welcome to the class. This is pretty par for the course, honestly. <laughs> what am I doing? I know what I'm doing. Um, one of the names for Imbolc is the quickening. Uh, where does that come from? In Wicca and some other pagan traditions, it is thought that uh, the goddess and the god or gods are consorts to each other, that they are partners to each other, and that there are certain holidays, certain sabbats that are tied to as I like to refer to it, the sacred knocking of boots between the goddess and the god. Winter solstice is one of them. Uh, and at winter solstice, the two god forms, the holly king and the oak king, fight or they have some type of a competition or something happens where these two forces come together and the holly king is stopped. He goes to bed, he's crippled, he is killed, um, he's just bested in some way, 
different traditions treat that differently. And the Oak King rises to power. And part of that is that now he becomes the consort of the goddess and she, you know, gets him into bed and they go at it. And she becomes pregnant. Um, she is also simultaneously giving birth at that time because it's paganism. So it's not going to make a lot of sense. Just go with it. Uh, there's fires in the background. Don't worry where we have bonfires. We'll get to that. Um, but the goddess sleeps with the god. They they lay together in the holy bed of bedding and um, they become pregnant. The goddess becomes pregnant. At this time, Imbolc represents uh, a period called In the Belly. That I can show you. I can pull that slide up. That's Olmok or Oymilk. These are, as well as Imbolc, these are all ways of saying in Gaelic, modern Gaelic and ancient Gaelic, in the belly. And what that is referring to is that the goddess is pregnant with something, someone, something. And we don't know what it is yet. And they are not necessarily showing that they are pregnant, but something is happening. And that is very tied into the spirit of Imbolc. Something is happening. Now, this is a holiday that I find, um, oops, this is a holiday that I find uh, uh, a lot of witches don't know exactly what to do with this holiday. And uh, when we talk to each other when we listen to like you know the podcasts that are out there and we kind of look through like what are the big holidays Samhain of course is huge right that's Halloween uh Yule pretty big because it's in alignment with Christmas um aka it is Christmas but you know don't tell those guys um Ostara gets a lot of favor um because it is often in alignment with Easter Easter Ostara we'll, we'll get to it next next class we'll get to it um and Beltane certainly gets a lot of play uh, because it's a big lusty holiday and, and you know, pagans, perverts. Um, but Imbolc tends to be a Sabbath that a lot of witches don't know about or they don't know much about it. They don't know exactly what it's for. So let's talk about what all we can be doing with this holiday. Purification of self restoration of natural resources, initiations, honoring craftspeople, healers, and midwives, uh, learning a new skill, and returning to your spiritual practice. So when we are here in Imbolc season, as I said, we're, we're leaving Yule season, we're leaving behind the like absolute stop of Yule season and we're coming into a moment of dreaming and drifting. And I know I'm talking a lot of abstract theory at you right now. We're going to get into some more concrete examples of what I'm talking about a little bit later in class. Just um, drift with me for a moment, if you will. We, we're in an underworld journey. We're in the lands of the dead. Uh, our solar deity has died and they are just barely poking their head back up over the horizon and letting us know that they're still kind of around. But, you know, in most places in the Northern Hemisphere, 
it's covered in snow and ice. And even if it isn't covered in snow and ice, it's soggy, it's cold, the days are short, the nights are long. Our serotonin production is like, right? I like to refer to serotonin as our give a shit chemical, and we're not making much of that right now. So it's difficult to give a shit at this time of year. And there is, uh, you know, such a push in the West for us to be something and to be producing something at all times and to be working and churning out and grinding and hustling at all times. Um, now, I'm not talking about the fact that, yes, we all have to pay rent or a mortgage. We all have to, you know, feed our kids or our cats or our dogs. We have bills to pay. Of course, yes. Um, but beyond that, there's also this sense of like, we must be achieving at all times. We must be producing um, result and success at all times. And yet our myths are teaching us that even the gods and goddesses take a break every now and then. They take a time out. They pull the car over and they're like, I'll get back to it in a minute. I need to like take a nap and have a Slim Jim. Like, I need to get my stuff right before we go forward. Um, you know, as I often say with clients, this is a lesson that we get every time there's a planet in retrograde as well. That there's this moment to slow down, stop, think about things, reorganize, reorient, reconnect, um, and then move forward again. And in bulk season is that season for us. After the full stop, of Yule, there is this time period where we get to just drift for a little while. It's cold. We can't grow anything outside. You don't want to work outside. There's no, there's, you know, if we're thinking about the ancient and not so ancient world and, and also to be very fair, there are plenty of people around the world right now who still live by these cycles. Um, if you don't have electricity, if you don't have electric light, your day and your day's activities are very much dictated by how much light you can produce for yourself, if any. My straw just startled me. I'm alone in my own house and I'm freaking myself out. Anyways, um, we are we are drifting here in the dark. Yes, exactly, right? Um, wind chill factor, snowing here, you know, We've been hit with, America has been hit with a really wild collection of storms over the last several weeks. It's been pretty volatile out there. And that's, of course, climate change. But this is the time of year that we would expect some kind of, um, some kind of, uh, you know, intense climate shift. You know, we, we expect the cold to some degree. We expect the snow and the rain to some degree. And the darkness. And... That darkness is really frightening. And we in the West, well, not just in the West, lots of folks around the world have electric light. We've had electric light for 150-ish years. But in the great scheme of things, that's not a lot of time compared to how long humans have been on Earth doing stuff. There is still very much an animal that's in us that is like, oh my God, <laughs> we're going to die <laughs> if we don't batten down the hatches for real. And, 
you know, we see that in migratory patterns of huge collections of animals being like, I can't even live in this part of the planet. I have to go to a completely different part of the planet. We see that in the hibernation patterns of a variety of different animals that are like, screw it. I'm not even trying to get up and do stuff. I'm going to go sleep for weeks. Goddess bless. Um, you know what I mean? Like we, like we see this in the natural world. We see this response. And we, as much as we like to think of ourselves as being exceptionally separate from the natural world, we are a product of this planet. We are a product of all of the same systems that created bear, that created swan, that created monarch butterfly. Those systems created us too. We are from them. We are of them. Even if on a conscious level, we feel very separate or removed from them. We're not. And, and if we are removed from them, we're not removed from, from them for very long. Like we, we've, it's only been a, a couple of decades. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, for the most part, we have been out there doing the thing just as much as anybody else has, just as much as any of those other creatures of this planet have. So, it's really important for us to recognize that there is a huge part of our physiology that is dialed in to this is meant to be a downtime. This is meant to be a quiet time. So what as witches can we be doing with this work? Well, first and foremost, we can dream and we can drift in the dark for a while. And like I said, I know that that feels spooky for some folks sometimes that can feel a little harrowing sometimes um you know destabilized sometimes is how that can feel that's fair that's totally fair recognize that say that out loud to yourself if that's true for you it's better to embrace it and work with it rather than to try to refute it and act like that's not happening when it totally is and then in that depth in that darkness what are you doing? You have a lot of options. And some of the most potent stuff that we can do is dream at this time. At Yule, the version of the goddess that we are encountering and hanging out with, um, the, the version of the goddess that we're hanging out with and that we are encountering is, in my opinion, a very abstract version of the goddess. She seems more remote at Yule and Imbolc than I think at any other time of year. She is, or they are, the embodiment of wisdom. Um, they are the embodiment of enlightenment. They are the embodiment of the collected knowledge of the species and all the other species that are here, the planet itself. And in that, they, you know, they're coming out of Mabin season, they're coming out of Samhain season, which has been this massive multi-month production season. And by the time they get to Yule, it's like, I'm going to take a break. Like, <laughs> I've been producing everything under the sun for you. Go eat, go enjoy, leave me the hell alone. <laughs> go play with your toys. Mommy needs a glass of wine and a nap, okay? That's really what's up with the goddess, I think, as we come into Yule season. And at the same time, she's still producing, or they are still producing. Uh, nearly all of the solar deities that we work with throughout the year are born at Yule. 
nearly all of the great patriarchs of the ruling religions of Earth today. Buddha, Christ, um, uh, you know, several others, right? <laughs> I should know those, but <laughs> I deal with the pagans. Um, they're born at winter solstice, looking back through time, Mithra, Sol Invictus, etc., etc., Apollo. They're all born at winter solstice. And they're born out of enlightenment. They're born out of this embodiment of wisdom. And then that embodiment is like, I'm going to take five. You guys deal with yourselves. Leave me alone for a minute. And, and so the goddess like takes off and like does her thing. And we see that in the natural world where there's no plants growing, there's no animals mating. Um, in fact, there's almost no animal or insect life at all during in bulk season. And I think for a lot of modern pagans and a lot of modern witches, it can just feel like a slog as we roll slowly through the gray days from Yule to Ostara. Oh my God, finally pastels um, <laughs> and flowers and stuff, right? But that's not, it doesn't have to be that. It can be a lot for us. And, um, and, and during this stretch of the year, we have an opportunity to undo ourselves and to allow ourselves to be undone through the chaotic breakdown of the natural world and what we have come to expect from the natural world. Plants produce food. Not right now, they don't. Animals mate and they make babies. Not right now, they don't. Insects pollinate things. Not right now, they don't. And all that stuff that we come to rely on in the, in the natural world is on hiatus during this time period. And so, you know, I recommend that in whatever way is possible for us that we too go on hiatus. Of course, this is also one of the busiest times of year for me because I don't listen to my own advice. <laughs> it's also a really busy time for a lot of other people too. But it also provides us on a biorhythmic scale an opportunity to be a little more meditative, to be a little more um, receded from the world, right? Sleep a little bit longer, be a little more pensive about things, um, be, in our, be in our thoughts a little bit more. Um, and so first and foremost, I think that that's some of the most important work that we can do as modern pagans. That is number one, the, the, all, the opportunity that in bulk season provides for us. But number two, it provides us this opportunity to dream, right? Let's rest, let's be still, let's chill out. And then in the stillness, what is coming for me? What ideas, what stuff comes up for me? And because the wheel turns, and even though I may feel like I'm drifting in a time out of time, I'm not. The days are ticking by, the hours are ticking by, the weeks are ticking by. And soon enough, it's going to be February, and then it's March, and then it's August, and here we go again, and again, and again. And I know that the future is approaching me, or I am approaching it, however we like to, to visualize that. And I want to, in this space, dream, because soon enough, it's going to be spring. Soon enough, it's going to be time to dig that furrow in the ground and put those seeds in and get the process started again. And the most important work I think that we can do during this time is to reorient ourselves and make sure that we are 
opening ourselves up to as much potential and possibility as possible so that we have the broadest spectrum of seeds to choose from. And TLDR, we're the seeds. It's us. We want to have as much potential and as much opportunity and as much possibility at hand when it's time to do stuff again so that we have the best chances for building the dopest present and future possible, right? Why not? Let's do it. Let's just do it and see what happens. So that's the work that we're doing here. And it takes place in this, this stuff. I always point the wrong way. This stuff. It, it, it manifests in these little moves. First off, in bulk season is a huge season of purification. Um, we see that in a bunch of the holidays past and present. We see that in some of the alternative names of this holiday, which we'll get to in just a second. Um, but uh, I've talked about this in previous classes. I think of the entirety of winter as a purification season. We move through Capricorn first. That's an earth sign. And it's a purification of the physical world. Everything is a white slate. It's a blank slate, right? It's all covered in snow and ice. Everything just like shunk, just stops, shuts down, is cleaned out. Then we literally have like storms blow through that literally wipe a lot of stuff away. Um, then we move into Aquarius season. Aquarius is an air sign. I know a lot of folks think it's a water sign. It's not. It's, a, it's an air sign. Um, and this gives us an opportunity to, to purify or clean out our minds, our philosophies, our ethical practices. Um, and by cleaning out, I really mean sort of like taking an account of and rectifying and making sure that what isn't serving us is being recycled and or thrown out um, and what could be serving us is being preserved but that we're also checking in on stuff again uh, at the beginning of this week's uh, or last week's podcast I kind of went on a little bit of a rant around you know if you're donating to mutual aid groups or charity groups when's the last time that you read up on what that group is really about and who's the CEO and who are the people that are really being supported and how much money is actually going to them. That's, that's the kind of work that we need to do in Aquarius season is, is reorienting and reconnecting with, you know, I have these good aims and these hopeful agendas, but is my energy actually going towards that? Do I need to recalibrate in some way? So Aquarius gives us an opportunity to purify, quote unquote, in that realm. And then Pisces is a water sign. And I think that the, the purification that we move through in Pisces season is a purification of the spirit and a purification of our heart and our emotions. Um, because the great shift that we are going through, if we think of ourselves as walking in the footsteps of the gods and goddesses, the great massive shift that we're going through is that we are witnessing the crone change during Imbolc season and move forward. She evolves or they evolve forward into the maiden who will appear at spring equinox. Uh, and how do we do that? How do we go from knowing to not knowing? right? The crone knows. The crone is the embodiment of wisdom. The crone is the embodiment of experience. 
And what happens when we have experiences? What happens when our wisdom accumulates in us? We get to a place where we believe we know better. We get to a place where we believe we've seen it all. Our cynicism begins to build up like plaque. Um, our bitterness begins to build up. Those are all elements of, of having experience. It doesn't have anything to do with age, right? We've all known people that were young who have been through it. And they have had multiple lifetimes of experiences before they've ever hit 20. We also know people who are plenty old and ought to know better and clearly don't. So it's not about age. It's about experience. And the crone is an embodiment of us and our process of accumulating wisdom through our lived experiences. And some of that stuff makes us bitter. Some of that stuff makes us really cynical. Not all of it, but some of it. That's part of it. And our bitterness and our cynicism protects us, it thinks, from the unknown, from chaos, from experimentation. And the unknown and chaos and experimentation are exactly what we're inviting in in spring. It's exactly what the maiden is looking for. The maiden version of us is like, I don't know. I've never tried this before. I've never tasted this before. I've never done this before. What's that feel like? What's that for? How does this work? Where does that go? It's, it's curiosity. It's not knowing any better. It's foolishness. It's silly. And it's fantastic because that attitude allows us to break new ground, to try new things, to explore new places, to become new iterations of ourself. And if we hold too tightly to our wisdom, if we hold too tightly to our lived experiences, we forego the opportunities that the maiden archetype provides us, which is a chance to start again. And so in-book season gives us an opportunity to purify in that sense, to clean out our beliefs to clean out our assumptions, to clean out our cynicism, to clean out our bitterness, and to say, I've never done it like this before. Have I ever lived in 2023 before? Nope, I never have. So truly, I don't really know what's about to happen. And in bulk season gives us an opportunity to clear out the metaphysical and metaphorical garden of our self, of our soul, to plant who knows what to grow who knows what, to gestate who knows what we might get up to this year, wacky and goofy as we are, and massively full of potential. So in bulk season, I find to be very magically powerful in that way. And it's a bummer that it's a little bit of an overlooked holiday because it's this really incredible opportunity to reset that place in us and come back to that stuff. We see this in... Um, holidays like, uh, I know I'm scooching back and forth between these, but we see this in, um, holidays like Dizablot, um, and, uh, King Frost Day and Disting and, and, um, and a lot of these holidays, uh, some I don't have listed here, like, uh, Plow Monday, Plow Sunday that, you know, occur sometimes earlier in January, sometimes they're way out in February, um, that are about, uh, literally waking up the earth, literally waking up the, the land itself. And, and as I said before, cutting that first furrow in the ground 
and planting those first symbolic seeds in the ground. So purification of self and really kind of a reorienting back to whatever that authentic thing is that's at the core of us. Um, before the artifice, before the bullshit, that person, that, that version of us, that being. Okay. Moving into some of the other stuff. Also, if it's your first time here, hi. Queen of Tangents, I, I do go off. <laughs> I have so many notes in front of me. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, we'll get to that. <laughs> Watch some of the other videos. That's that's one of the things about all of these holidays is um, there are there's so much to say that there's too much to say. I, I never say it all in any individual class. So definitely go back if you have the patience to and watch previous year's videos because you will get a fuller and fuller picture of what it is that I'm talking about here. But some of the other stuff that we're doing at this time period, purification of self. I think that's pretty stuff, straightforward. We've, we've covered that, but also... Um, restoration of natural resources. So this is us going back out to the earth and waking it up and preparing it for repair, repairing it after the storms of winter and preparing it for the work that's going to be done. It's also a means of saying thanks to those systems that have been keeping us alive throughout, uh, throughout the winter. Um, initiations. Uh, in bulk season and Ostara season both are very traditional for lots of pagans to uh, engage in initiations, but l plenty of the other Sabbaths have initiation vibes as well, so don't think that you have to do it now. Um, but if it's something that's been on your mind, this is a time where people do initiate themselves into spiritual practices. Um, yay, I'm glad the tangents are your fave, because that's literally like... <laughs> That's my brand. <laughs> That's what's up. <laughs> um, so initiations. And initiations can look like anything. Um, initiations can be by yourself. I am a self-created witch. Um, I mean, I had a little help. <laughs> Don't start. But, um, but generally speaking, it was me as a teenager with a Scott Cunningham book making a decision and if we roll back in time to the very 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 first witch there was no witch before that to initiate them they decided this is i am this and i'm doing this and that's perfectly okay for us in this day and age too i think um but there's also groups that you can go to if you want to be initiated into a tradition or or whatever you can do some research about that there's hundreds and hundreds of different witchcraft and pagan and heathen traditions springing up every day uh, around the planet these days, and it's pretty damn cool. Um, honoring craftspeople, healers, and midwives. Okay, so first and foremost, we want to honor these folks um, in our society because they are the people that brought the skill and brought the wisdom, they brought the experience that created whatever the circumstances are that made it possible for us to live through winter to begin with. But and also... While we're drifting and dreaming, these are the people that are holding space for us while we take a time out, while we go nap, while we go, you know, insular and, and turn inward. These are the people that are holding it down on the physical plane. And when I say midwives, I think with craftspeople, it's very straightforward. Healers, it's very straightforward. And, but midwives, a lot of folks will think of midwives as simply or strictly folks that are assisting in delivering babies. And that's obviously true but to me a midwife 
is any person that assists us in becoming or producing. So a mentor or a teacher um, is certainly just as much of a midwife because they are helping you bear yourself. They're helping you discover what you are, um, become more than that and bring that thing out into the world. Um, so it definitely doesn't have to just be about pregnancy, but that too. Um, learning a new skill, this dials in with, um, what, as well as craftspeople, I should say, this dials in with one of the great goddesses that, uh, is worshiped during in bulk season. So we talked about the, the crone quite a bit. That's Calaic and, um, uh, that's Calaic on the left, the crone. And then we have Brigid on, on the right. Uh, and Brigid is a goddess that definitely has mother energy, definitely has maiden energy. And um, Kaleic, uh guides us through winter. Um, she really helps us sit in the stillness and be in the dark and deal with our shadow work and hang out with our ancestors and do all of that wintry stuff that we need to be doing. But Brigid is the embodiment of that thing in us that's like, damn it, I'm tired of this. I want to get going. I want to make things happen. <laughs> um, Brigid is a craftsperson goddess. Uh, she brought uh, metalworking to her people, poetry. Um, her name is the Bright One, the Great One, the Fiery Arrow. Uh, she brought healing and prophecy and skills and poetry and childbirth and on and, on, and smithing and so much more to her people. Um, she is the embodiment of a great craftsperson goddess. Uh, another goddess that's worshipped at the same time of year by the Hindis are, uh, is uh, Saraswati, who is always depicted playing um, a sitar. And she also is a great craftsperson. She's, they both are very, very talented in their skills, and they bring their skill sets to their people. Um, and... Uh, and so it, we're kind of like moving back and forth between these two entities. Um, and so honoring craftspeople around us is a, is a connection to that. But learning a new skill is also a connection to this. In and of itself, it's just a holy act and a means of honoring the goddess by learning any new skill. But it's also a hat tip to some of the adventures that we might be trying to engage going forward in this coming year. Is there a skill that I might like to have that might assist me in any of these adventures that I'm trying to bring forth or any of these opportunities or any of these projects that I'm trying to bring forth in this new year? Now is a great time for me to start learning a skill that may aid me further down the road. Um, and then returning to your spiritual practice, right? We've been drifting in the dark and um, returning to any kind of vows, returning to any kind of promises that we've made to ourselves or to our guides, gods, goddesses uh, is very important at this time of year. Um, so returning, so for folks who have a spiritual practice who have already been initiated into a tradition, this is a great time to come back to that. And... I think I talked about this also in this last week's podcast. I was trying not to say too much in it that was like for this class, but you know, what are you going to, what time's a flat wheel. So whatever, it's all fine. But, um, this is a really great time for returning to, um, 
like I said, returning to vows, returning to promises that we've made to ourselves or to other entities that we might be working with. Um, and, you know, we drifted for a while and now it's time to kind of come back. And I find that some of the most potent stuff that we can come back to are our fundamentals. Strip it way back down to page one of the book on witchcraft and work on your earth, air, fire, water. Work on your uh, north, east, south, and west. Work on your athame and your chalice and your wand and your candle. Your bell and your cauldron, right? Work on the fundamentals. Come back to the basics. Come back to the simple start of things. Um, it, in a sense, also is deeply honoring both the crone and the maiden at the same time because uh, when we come back to the fundamentals when we come back to the start of something we are honoring the maiden in that sense right like who knows I'm just starting I'm brand new at this whole thing and yet we're not right at the same time we're not we do have our learned uh, our, our earned excuse me wisdom through experience and who am I now and what do I know now and what do I experience now when I face north and I call to the gods and goddesses of earth or I face east and I think about the rising sun, right? Who was I when I was reading those words for the very first time in that book of witchcraft ever so long ago or that my friend who introduced me to paganism or however it is that we came to this path, right? Who was I then? What questions did I bring? And what curiosities did I have? And what things were I worried about? And all of that, right? And now, who am I after so many years or decades, perhaps, for some of us or centuries, perhaps, for some of us? <laughs> who am I now? What all do I know now? And I come back to the beginning again. And how does the beginning feel now? It's that thing. And we get to literally stand with a foot in crone and a foot in maiden. A foot in knowing. Very deeply knowing. And a foot in I don't know. And I've never done this before. And this is all beginning again. So powerful. So, so powerful. So this is a really great season for coming back to our fundamentals. Coming back to our basics. Um, and even that can be a type of returning to your spiritual practice. So it's also a great time to come back to your New Year's vows. If you made those and you've already drifted from them, reset yourself again. No sweat. Okay. So looking at, um, thinking about all of that stuff, here are some of our other holiday names that we have here. Imbolc is just another way of saying Imbolc. Um, again, that means in the belly. That's that idea of like something's happening, something's stirring, some, the, the, the spark is there, we're starting. Oi milk uh, literally means washed in milk or purified in milk. Uh, milk, kind of a big deal at this time of year. Um, lots of milk symbolism in some of our global holidays, oddly enough, <laughs> or not so oddly, right? <laughs> <laughs> sure, it's just a coincidence, as I like to say, or no, it's totally not. Um, but also the idea that milk and purification are somehow intertwined and that purification is embedded in the name of this. Uh, Torablot, this is a, a bloodletting 
uh, for winter. Bari is another name. These are from our Norse friends and ancestors. Disting is connecting to uh, the practice of uh, spinning wool off of the distaff and down onto the spindle and taking the bundle of pure chaos that is this big giant ball of wool and spinning it down into a thread that we are then going to make something out of. Fantastic metaphor for the work that we're doing at this time of year. Uh, Upelia, this is a, a Scottish festival where folks dress up like Vikings and set things on fire. Just a Tuesday in Scotland, no big deal. Um, Dizablot, this is another disting connected uh, festival. King Frost Day, recognizing Oak King as the King of Winter, um, the King of Frostiness. Um, and then the, 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 all of the last of these names, La Fielbride, uh, La Brishi, Brigantia, the Feast of Goddess Bridget, these are all dedicated to, to Bridget, whose name is also pronounced Breed or Bride. Um, and that is, in fact, where we get those words from, Breed and Bride, come from Bridget. The word Britain also comes from Bridget. Uh, so, you know, she's kind of a big deal over there. <laughs> Just the literal embodiment of the land itself. Um, I go way off on this in last year's, no, two years ago, the class from two years ago. I go off, off, off on this stuff. So if that's something that you're intrigued in, go watch the, the class from two years ago. Okay, moving on. As we're working this stuff, we can do these things. We can honor these moves in a wide variety of ways. We can do things fancy. We can do things in the external world. We can do internal world. We can do simple. Um, remember, first and foremost, that your witchcraft and your pagan practices are for you, first and foremost. And then if you decide to share them with other people, they are for other people. Why I say it that way and spe very specifically and pointedly is because... It's not for fucking Instagram, okay? Okay? It's not for TikTok, so stop that. It's not for Facebook. It's not, it's not for that. It's not for them. It's not for the algorithms to consume. It is for you, okay? If you choose to share it with people, cool, great, that's lovely. But if you look through my social media feeds, you will almost never see a photo of an altar that I have created unless it's an altar in a class because it's a teaching altar. It's meant to be worked by multiple people. It's meant to be uh, interacted with in a public setting. You will not see my private altars. You will not see me doing witchcraft. You will not see me doing ritual because it is not for those platforms to consume and sell shoes to other people because they were watching my stream. You get me? Like, <laughs> it's why I don't run ads on my streams. It's why I don't run ads on my podcasts. This is for me. And I have now chosen to share my work with you all who voluntarily show up <laughs> despite my best efforts. <laughs> despite my goofiness, you all show up. <laughs> But, but first and foremost, let this be for you. Don't worry about the outside world. If you want to share this with friends and family, that is a beautiful thing. Um, but just going off on that a little bit. Okay. Whatever form you decide to interact with this holiday and its magic in, here are some symbols that you can work with. Bridget's Cross, there is a... A pattern on how to build your own Bridget's Cross. We'll talk about what this is in just a second. 
um, corn dollies, fire, candle, and light, the Milky Way, anvils and plows, symbols of trade, uh, spirals, two crescents, the preapic wand, the besom, the cauldron, wells, and springs. Um, so what are we talking about here? Let me show you. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll come back to that in just a second. Um, so here are some of the symbols that we can work with during in bulk season. The Bridget Cross, Bridget's Cross is a equal armed, four armed cross that is made out of weaving rushes together. Um, you can make them now, you can make them earlier in the season. Uh, it, depending on where you are on the planet, it might be easy or hard to find green rushes uh, that are flexible enough to work with. You may have to go to a craft store, shop at an ethical craft store. Um, but this is a, a symbol that is connected to Bridget running back into time. Spirals, because we have been at the center and we are now making our way back out again. The Triskelion is the triple spirals, the triple goddess, um, uh, the phase of the moon, like all kinds of stuff in that symbol. The double crescent is the waxing moon and the waning moon. So it is, in my opinion, a type of uh, representation of the crone and the maiden, sort of side by side. The, the version of the moon that's going away and the version of the moon that's coming in or waxing or waning. Uh, the Milky Way, of course, itself, which is in the background. A big part of that is because this is one of the times of year in the Northern Hemisphere where um, it is, except if the skies are clear, it is exceptionally easy to stargaze. We have very few uh, meteor showers at this time of year. And some of the other celestial phenomenon like Earth glow and the um, zodiacal glow are both not in the sky at this time. And so the sky itself is very, very dark and the stars are very easy to see. Um, so excellent time period, cold, but excellent time period for um, stargazing. Star gods and star goddesses play a big role in a lot of our myths that take place after Yule and before uh, spring equinox, so here in in bulk season. The besom or the broom, you know, pretty standard uh, tool for witches, but this is the time of purification and clearing out physically and energetically. So of course we want to have our brooms at the ready. Uh, the cauldron as a representation of the place where stuff is cooking, the place where stuff is happening and getting going. Um, the And the goddess, obviously, always rec re uh, represented by the cauldron. Um, sacred wells. Uh, sacred wells are a place where um, wisdom is stored. They are absolutely a representation of the goddess. They are a pretty direct representation of, you know, vaginas. Come on. Hello. Um, and, uh, you know, Calaic is even, ha even has a, a, a myth connected to her, um, where she is sitting by her sacred well, wink, wink, uh, tending her, um, juices, I mean, waters, her sacred <clears throat> waters. And, uh, these three knights come cruising by and are <clears throat> thirsty 
And uh, they're like, can we, how about a little, can we a little sippy sip of the sacred well jam? Is that for us? Can we have some? And she's like, yeah, absolutely. Help yourself, boys, for a kiss. And two of the knights are like, I'm good. That's not really, I'm not, I don't want to. And one of the knights is like, I'll do you one better, madame. And as we said before, they knock the sacred boots in the bed of bedding. And lo and behold, Kaleich, this old crone, saggy, wrinkled, dusty, musty, old-ass crone, becomes frigid. Hi, hello. Uh, <laughs> there by the sacred well. Um, but also, this is a place of wisdom. This is a place uh, where people throw their wishes and... Um, they, you know, sacred wells play out in lots and lots of myths as a place where, uh, like, it's an in-between world where we move from one reality to another, uh, and sacred beings who otherwise can't interact with our world are able to interact through the sacred well, etc., etc. There's a lot of potent imagery that that uh, comes with sacred wells, especially at this time of year. And then, of course, we have the the um, the plow and the anvil and um, the plow and anvil connect us directly to Bridget uh, anvil in particular, because she is a Smith and the plow, of course, because and this is our, our phallic symbol that is pushing into the earth and digging a hole um, and digging a groove that then the seed is going to be planted in uh, inseminated literally. And, um, and again, this doesn't have to be a, a gendered thing at all, though I'm using a lot of, in a sense, I'm using a lot of gendered language, but in a sense, again, these are states that all human beings can embody. We can have things planted in us. We can be doing the planting. We can be creating the furrow. We can be filling the furrow. We can be the knights. We can be Calaic. We can be the sacred well. <laughs> um, all of the above. Um, so these are all symbols that you can work with myths that you could read at this time of year, things to focus on, stuff to add to your altars, that kind of stuff. Okay. So, um, corn dollies. These are the corn dollies that we would have made back in Mabin season or Samhain season, perhaps, maybe even Lunasad. Uh, the corn dollies are little dolls that represent the goddess that are made out of either the first or the last of the corn rushes that are collected at harvest time. So sometimes it's the very first corn that is picked or other grains. Sometimes it's the very last, depends on the tradition. It's different by region. Um, and those rushes would have been dried and then woven into a dolly. Plenty of people do something that's very rudimentary. Plenty of people do stuff that's really super fancy. Doesn't matter. Um, and then that corn dolly is kept in a special place. Sometimes it is kept with the preapic wand from the year before. We'll talk about what that is in just a second, but it's a representation of the god. And so the goddess and the god are kept in a special little bed. Um, sometimes that is burnt at Yule. Oftentimes in some tradition, well, some, not often, some traditions will keep the corn dolly until now. And the corn dolly and the symbol of the god, whatever it is, are, are placed into that first furrow that is dug in the ground as the gardening season and the growing season in, in truth really kicks off. Um, so it is a connection of the energy from the year before into the next cycle. Um, fire, candles, and light. 
This is a, a, a symbol of the light and the heat. Well, not the heat, but the light is slowly coming back. The days are slowly getting longer and longer. The shifts are incrementally happening here on the physical plane. And so fire and candles and light are a way of celebrating that. Um, here, this is an image that is pretty traditional for a lot of in bulk people. This person is actually, I did some research on this photo. I've used it for a few years. This is actually a person celebrating a St. Lucia uh, celebration, which is why the um, headpiece has um, holly, which is still fine. Holly and mistletoe. It's still fine to use holly and mistletoe through in bulk season. It's not a big deal. But yes, this is also a pagan tradition. It's also a Catholic tradition. Um, and we see this utilized, this method, this this ritual form utilized from Yule season through Imbolc season. And it is literally a crown or a headpiece of some kind that is fashioned to hold real ass candles that are then lit. <laughs> do I do that? Uh, no, ma'am. No, 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 I don't. <laughs> because I'm chicken. <laughs> I should do it someday though, but my bangs are so good. I don't want to mess them up. But this is a this is a, a real practice. It is still practiced by a lot of Northern European folks and Central European folks, especially uh, in honor of Saint Lucia in December, and especially in honor of Candlemas, the Catholic holiday on February second. Um, and it is you know literally wearing the the fire on their head. It is literally a, a an opportunity to invoke or evoke that growing light uh, and, and sort of almost summon it back to the world. Um, so cool. Okay. Milky Way, we talked about that already. Oh, another thing I should say about fire and candles and light is that making candles is very, very traditional at this time of year. That's absolutely something that lots of pagan groups will do. Um, uh, making candles... Uh, is hard. It's messy. It's easy to set stuff on fire or make a big mess. So if you engage in candle making, be careful. Don't sue me. Um, but I recommend if it's feasible for you, I recommend giving it a try because it is something that people still do all over the planet because they have to. And again, taking back just a hundred and some years, this was something that every household did on the regular. This is a time period, again, it's dark and cold outside, so we're not doing stuff outside. We're doing things in the house. Making candles is certainly one of those things. Also, by this point in the year, we've gone through a lot of our meat stores, and we may have a lot of tallow saved up from various animals that were slaughtered back in uh, Samhain season and have been eaten over the course of winter. We may have a lot of bone and extra stuff left over from them. And so that would have been cooked down as well for, for part of what goes into making a candle. Um, and at this time of year, uh, there's plenty of traditions of taking those candles into a church or to the local witch or the local religious person and having them blessed. And they would be the light that were, that was used for the rest of the year. Um, Milky Way, we talked about that. 
Anvil plow, symbols of trade. Okay, so anvil plow, we talked about that. And having like a literal anvil or a plow on your altar, I mean, a huge one, Go, <laughs> be careful. But they, you can find little tiny ones too. Um, but those are going to be in honor of Bridgen. Symbols of trade, uh, that's your trade. That's the work that you do. And having symbols of the work that you do on your altar, very, very potent at this time of year. And invoking or evoking um, a moment uh, and the power of your work that you do in this world, in this time, the ways that you support yourself, the ways that you take care of yourself on the physical plane um, and provide for yourself and probably provide for other people as well. Um, honoring that, right? We're honoring the craftspeople in our environment. Yeah, but we want to honor the craftsperson in ourself as well. Spirals, we talked about that. That's that, you know, we've gone all the way to the center at Yule and we're making our way back out again to Crescents. The Priapic Wand. Um, I think I forgot to put in a picture of the Priapic Wand, but the Priapic Wand is a representation of God energy, um, thrust energy, push energy. And what they are, are a branch from an evergreen that has a cone at the end. So like a pine cone, for example. But I know that like firs, I think, and spruces also do cones. I don't think cedars do. Um, it's a branch that has a cone at the end, naturally occurring, that has fallen off of the tree. You can't cut it off. You can't break it off. It has to have fallen naturally. If you have evergreens around you, you will probably see a ton of these over the course of the next several weeks because of the storms and the volatile weather that's happening. Um, just get out there before the landscapers <laughs> clear everything out. Um, but it's a branch that has a pine cone at the end. Boom. That's it. That's it. But it's a symbol of the God energy. It's a symbol of that natural thrust energy. And you can use it as a wand throughout this season and throughout the year if you feel like it, or you can burn it at the end of the, of the season. The besom, that's our our broom. Having a broom near the altar um, or even on the altar, very important and appropriate. And cauldrons, wells, and springs as we discussed. Okay. So where are we? Way off base. That's me. That's what I do. Okay. <laughs> This is absolutely my brand. Um, before we get into this, let me close out this section on paganism with this. Uh, the goddess is slowly changing from crone energy into maiden energy. She or they is pregnant with the potential of spring. The light and solar power are rising. It's still cold outside, but animals and vegetation are waking up. The days are getting longer and the Oak King is gaining in power. Okay. So we've talked a lot about what pagans are doing at this time of year and why they're doing that stuff. That's very important to me. Um, and a variety of different symbols that we can work with on our altars or on our person. Um, and when I'm talking about these symbols, you can draw them. You can pull up a picture on the internet and print it out. You could wear this as a piece of jewelry. You could paint it on a t-shirt, whatever. Like you could find a, 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 a simile to this in your kitchen or somewhere in your house. What That's always my favorite is like, can I make it or can I find something that's approximate uh, in my home already and turn that thing into this thing? That's That's the most potent stuff of all, in my opinion. In my opinion. And you're here, I guess, to hear my opinion. So, <laughs> all right, 
So when we go out to the rest of the world and we look at what everybody else is doing at this time of year, they're doing things that are very, very similar to what pagans, witches, and heathens are doing. They are engaging in holidays and festivals centered on awakening the body, awakening vitality, purification, renewal, and rededication to their spiritual traditions. And so some of the other holidays that we will see celebrated right at the same time, February 1st to February 2nd, um, from our Catholic friends and ancestors, Candlemast, uh, from our Yoruba friends and ancestors, the Feast of Oya, um, we see uh, the old European New Year is placed at this time. Um, the uh, A Yemoya festival, the Brazilian one from our Candomblé friends and ancestors, also at this time. Celtic Christians are celebrating the Feast of St. Bridget. Um, and then other festivals that are happening throughout this season. We have the Lene, which is a Greek festival for water spirits. Uh, Hadaka Matsuri, the Shinto purifying festival. Terminalia, which literally is the, it's, it is the literal end of the year. Um, termin, terminal, right? Um, the Feast of Rhiannon. Certainly a, a cauldron and sacred well goddess, if there was one. Uh, the Malaysian Purification Festival, Thai Pusam, um, which is an incredible holiday. Uh, I will say that uh, if you look it up, be aware that it is centered around mortification of the flesh. And so the photos and the videos of this festival can be very extreme. Not the content for some folks. I'm not going to show any here. Um but it shows pretty extreme body endurance. <laughs> but one of the key <laughs> portions of the festival is this uh, tremendous procession from one temple to another where people hold giant jugs on their head full of milk. Okay? Okay. <laughs> Come on. Come on, people. Um, what else do we have happening at this time of year? The Lunar New Year, celebrated globally by billions of people. Um, if you're trying to figure out how to track uh, Lunar New Year, it is always the new moon between January 20th and February 20th, a.k.a. the second new moon after winter solstice. So have winter solstice, let one new moon pass, the, the next new moon is going to be, is going to mark Lunar New Year. Um... This is a time point observed by billions of people around the world by cleaning their homes, reuniting with family, worshiping ancestors, and of course, shooting off fireworks and setting stuff on fire. Um, another holiday from our uh, Hindu friends and ancestors, uh, Vasant Panchami. This is the Hindu festival marking the pre-funk of spring. Uh, this is dedicated to Saraswati, who I mentioned earlier, as I said, having a, having a party at this time. Um, she is the great goddess of creativity and skills and talents. Um, millions of Hindus will wear bright yellow clothes and eat yellow food. Um, they'll fly kites, air, right? Aquarius, um, et cetera, et cetera. And they are getting ready to celebrate Holi. Um, 40 days later, 40 days, kind of a thing. And some really, I don't know if you're familiar. It's, it's whatever. We'll get to it later. Uh, but... Holi is the big spring equinox hell yeah festival that the Hindus celebrate. So we see already that a lot of these civilizations, past and present, are like, stuff is coming. We need to get ourselves in order for that. 
Lupercalia, of course. I'm going to come back to that. Uh, we have Carnival, Mardi Gras, and Lent from our Catholic friends and ancestors and plenty of other people around the planet celebrate. Um, but this is the Catholic Church's annual global bacchanal and purification ritual, right? We do some sinning and then we purify for Lent. Um, what is the length of that? Uh, well, the length of that is yeah, some amount of weeks. <laughs> but um, ultimately, it's 46-ish days. And that's 40 days plus a week of Sundays. Again, 40 days. I don't know. It's a thing. I can't. It's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, whatever. Put it in chat if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> uh, plus a week of Sundays. Catholics. Um, but this delivers you to Easter. Um, so there's your time keeping chart for how do we mark when Easter happens? This is how. And then of course, from our Roman friends and ancestors, uh, we have the incredibly awesome festival Lupercalia. This is a festival that is definitely picking up in popularity with modern pagans and witches and heathens, um, which I'm sure ancient Romans are absolutely thrilled <laughs> about. <laughs> Uh, this is a purification and fertility festival featuring nearly naked priests running through the streets, whipping people with leather thongs to wake up their spirits and their libidos after the freeze of winter. Uh, folks who wanted to get pregnant made sure to expose plenty of backside. Uh, I have a giant article about Lupercalia up on my website. You can just search Lupercalia on my website and it will come up. Um, yeah, so... When we're looking backwards and forwards in time, when we're looking around the planet, lots of folks are doing very similar stuff. They're partying, they're having a good time, but they are slowly waking up and they are engaging in activities that are peaceful or that maybe are a little more rowdy. Um, that is bringing them back from the lands of the dead, bringing them back from their sleep, back from their slumber, um, they are honing in on their skills. They're honing in on their crafts. They're thinking about what they're going to produce and be and get up to in this coming, the high, the, the coming high part of the year. Okay. So let us now move into some of the other stuff that we talk about in this class. This is our sky guide. Um, this is certainly not every single thing that's happening between now and uh, Ostara or um, Spring Equinox, but this is a lot of it. Uh, January 20th, our sun moved into Aquarius. That's for folks who practice tropical or Western astrology. Um, oh, I meant to take something out of here and I forgot to. Sorry, that uh, Mercury Direct has already happened. That's a lie. Don't don't look at that. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> It was, it was, I had a hard day with the robots. I'm just saying, I had a hard day with the robots today. <laughs> um, but we have the heliacal rising of Deneb El Gedi. Um, we have our sun moving into Pisces February 18th. And then right after that, the new moon in Pisces at one degree on February 19th. And I've talked about this quite a bit on the um, podcast, but we're in a really cool astrological or astronomical cycle right now where the sun moves into the sign and then we have a new moon in the sign literally a day or a day and a half later. Um, very cool kind of like double whammy introduction to the energy of each sign. So it's like, let's start, let's start, let's start, let's start, let's start, let's start. Um, lots of green lights for the, for the first portion of this year. 
Um, that's true, Patty. That is absolutely true. Mercury is still in its shadow phase. Absolutely. Um, it's just not leaving Capricorn. <laughs> that's a lie. <laughs> it left Capricorn uh, the 18th of January. Um, side note, we will have Mercury retrogrades four times technically this year. That was the first one that just ended uh, January 18th. And um, we will have another Mercury retrograde in May in Taurus, another one in August in Virgo, and another one at the very end of the year in December in Capricorn again. So Mercury will be retrograding in Earth signs all year this year. Um, so now do I want to? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Candles on your head. Go ahead and do it, freak. There's some more spirals for you. This is at Bruna Boyne. This is a 4,000-year-old megalithic site. Spirals, kind of a big deal to old witches. Sacred wells. I forgot I put these slides in here. Sorry. <laughs> okay, here we go. Here are our constellations that we're working with at this time of year. Uh, for Western astrologers, the sun will be moving through Aquarius and then through Pisces. Or I should really say, uh, it's not moving through it. It's passing in front of these signs. Or these constellations. And the... Um, in Aquarius... Some of our key fixed stars are Sadal Malik, which is the luck of the king, Sadal Sud, uh, the luckiest of the lucky, and Scott, the wish. Uh, I th I just think that that's interesting, just very tangentially, because of there's so much of an emphasis on sacred wells and wells being a place where we put our wishes, um, and that that whole energy, but also because it really is about. Um, you know, this energy of like, we are in a sense putting our wishes out into the universe right now. We are dreaming about what it is that we might try to get up to and create and be and produce and pull through in spring and the rest of the year. And so right now is kind of that time of like, hey, if you're listening, here's my wish list. Let me throw it up for you. Uh, in Pisces, we're dealing with Typhon, who is another uh, description of Tiamat. Um, that's another name for this constellation. Um, fixed stars Al-Ferg, which is the cord or the pouring water. Al-Resha, the knot. And Fum Al-Salmaka, uh, the mouth of the fish. And uh, there are some uh, descriptions of Aquarius as literally um, a jug pouring water out. Sometimes it's described as a boy or a man pouring a jug of water out. Um, I think of this constellation as looking like a mountain range. And the, those would be the rivers of water running down the mountain range as the snow melts. Um, but this is, this co these two constellations together are often depicted that they're, the jug is pouring out water and it's pouring into the mouth of Pisces. And um, this was another thing that I really went off on, on an, in another one of my classes. I think it was last year's class that I really went off on this. I'm not doing it this year because there's, there's no time. We're talking about other stuff. But whatever it is that Aquarius is trying to give us, we're able to take it in in Pisces season. 
Um, and in bulk stretches over the course of those two signs. In bulk season runs through Aquarius and through Pisces, and then spring equinox is when Aries starts. So we kind of can think about it as like having a month to dream and to drift and to evoke, like, you know, call in from the universe. Um, you know, this is what I want and this is what, what do you want from me and all of that stuff. And then we can start to really like drink it in and take it in during Pisces season and, you know, ultimately figure out how we're going to manifest that stuff um, and, and make it happen in the world. Okay. So, scooching into our astrology. Um, we have just had the new moon in Aquarius, but we have until February 5th before we have our um, uh, full moon. So we really kind of have two-ish weeks to work with the new moon in Aquarius. Um, and so... During the first half of Imbolc season, as I said, we're we're moving through Aquarius and our focus moves away from the external material world, which is where it was while we were traveling through Capricorn, to an inner experience where we drift in a gray liminal space, um, floating in alternate pasts and presents and futures, and connecting temporarily to archetypal concepts that are much larger than us. Uh, this is all really super potent work that we can be doing at this time. And this is stuff that I'm kind of reading from the workbook. Um, and there's more in there than just what I'm saying. Um, but the mind is out front right now. And it's a really great time for connecting with the universe uh, for a cosmic download or several of them. So when we're working with the new moon in Aquarius, as we talked about in the podcast last week, um, this is a really fantastic time to critically examine and call out traditional beliefs or patterns or attitudes that have been handed to you but may not serve you. And, you know, maybe I'm a little biased, but I definitely see that embodied in the Patra. It's embodied in the Father, right? Um, and so this is a really great moon for thinking about who or what in your life would you think of as fathering you? And that might be a real person or people. Um, it might be a community that you're a part of. It might be a society that you're a member of or a philosophical belief that you um, were handed at an earlier time period. Um, what fathered you? And what of that stuff deserves to be questioned? Um, and examined critically. It doesn't mean that we necessarily throw it out, right? And this, I think, is something really important. It is important for us to examine what we believe and ask ourselves, why do we believe this? And is this true for me? Is this still true for me? If we just take a belief, we take a philosophical practice or stance, and we're just like, this is just the way it is. We're, we're, we're almost like zombies at that point, right? Like we're not utilizing this incredible brain that we have. We're not thinking for ourselves. There's nothing wrong with accepting tradition. There's nothing wrong with moving within tradition, but it's, but it has to hold us, right? It has to be appropriate for us. And so it is critical. It is incredibly important that we check that every now and then and make sure 
I believe this stuff. Do I still believe this stuff? Is this still appropriate for me? Where did I get this? When did I decide that this was true? Or have I always just believed it was true? Have I ever critically examined this before? This is a great time to have that kind of existential conversation with yourself um, and sort of check in on that stuff. And then two weeks later, we're going to have our full moon in Leo. And this is allowing the mother energy or the queen energy to step up and take charge of the situation or to honor those around us that have been skilled enough to take charge of the situation. And in that, we want to ask ourselves who or what has mothered us. Um, think about the people or the person or the conditions or the situations that mothered you. And how do you feel about their input? How do you feel about their influence? Um, is there anything there that needs to be examined or questioned? Um, but and also, most likely, is there anybody there that needs to be thanked? <laughs> you know, like that's still unfortunately a really traditional facet in the mother-father dynamic, even in today's day and age, is that moms do, whoever that person is, regardless of their gender, the mom of the family often is doing something for no pay that's thankless, that's not really considered work. And the father, whoever they are, regardless of gender, the dad of the family is thought of as the breadwinner and the real worker. And they're the one that's, that's, you know, making the whole thing happen. And they are, they do receive accolades for their work. How did that dynamic influence you? What has that done for you? And where can we examine that and work, work away from it? Then we're going to move into Pisces season. Um, and we're going to have our new moon in Pisces and our full moon in Virgo. Um, and this is a month out from us. We've got a ways to go before we get here. But when we do get here, um, I want you to have critically examined some of this stuff that we're talking about. Thinking about traditions that have been handed to you that may not serve you anymore. Thinking about wisdom and experiences that have accumulated in you that may be actually holding you back at this point from engaging something new. Because when we step into our new moon in Pisces, it is an opportunity for us to wash all of that out and clear all of that away and begin to truly dream into existence, whatever it is that we're going to try to accomplish in this coming year. Um, it's an opportunity to invite in hope and to invite in potential and possibility and who knows what, right? It's, I kind of say this every year, but it's like, we don't know what's coming in the next year. We don't know what all it could be. Um, and so have we given ourselves as many opportunities as possible to let go of everything that might be holding us back? Um, whether that came from someone else or whether that's coming from within that stuff. We'll talk more about um, this as we, as we approach it a month from now. But, um, but we are going to be engaging in some, some deep, you know, dreaming for sure. Okay, I'm going to read just a little bit for you um, here. 
The in-bulk season seems to start when the sun moves into Aquarius. This sign helps open up our mind to the conversation of the self in comparison to the community or the universe or infinity and things that feel shared by the group at large. Our physical, spiritual, mental neighborhood. We are encouraged to rebel against or at least question the status quo, especially anything limiting our horizons or keeping us from expressing our unique viewpoint. While we're thinking globally, we may not be acting locally. And for a moment, that's okay. And what I mean by that is this stillness that we kind of require in this moment. I don't mean this forever. Um, but while we're thinking really, really big, we might not be acting at all, let alone acting in, in the immediate, right? We might be drifting for a, for a second. It's a great time to go on a solo retreat, if that's at all possible for you. Disconnect from the internet and turn inward to the self. Consider the tree that looks dead, stripped of its greenery. A broken, hollowed limb has become a home for some finches. Moss grows on the north side. But we know that there's life deep inside. Perhaps we need to prune back some of the dead branches that didn't make it through winter. That's okay. I guarantee after the last three years of life on Earth, you have some dead branches and they need to be trimmed back. And it's okay. Some portion of us did make it through, distilled down through the melting snow. As we move into Pisces, we begin to purify and wash away the parts of ourselves that are no longer serving the greatest good in ourselves and in community. We also wake up and repair the self and reconnect to the systems in our environment in preparation for the shift in the energy cycle coming up. Do some cleanup work around your neighborhood and or a waterway or a water source near you. What are the water protection laws in your area? Yeah, I'm asking you that. Do you know? Do you know? <laughs> Check out your natal chart and look at what houses Leo, Aquarius, Pisces, and Virgo are in. These areas of your life will have some extra focus this season. So our new moons are going to be in Aquarius and Pisces. So whatever houses or house that's in, and it's one degree of each one, one degree of Pis Aquarius and one degree of Pisces. So you can look that up. And then um, for our uh, full moons... They are going to be in Leo and Virgo, and they're going to be at 16 degrees of Leo and doo -doo -doo, 16 degrees of Virgo. So you can find those in your natal chart and know that wherever there's a new moon, we're kicking off a process, and wherever there's a full moon, we're coming into a type of culmination. So that's those are hot spots for you in the in bulk season. Good to know. Okay, now we're going to move into some tarot. Um, these are further assistance for you as we move through these concepts.
the constellations. Okay. <clears throat> so here are the four major arcana that we're really working with uh, during Invoke season. And I'm going to show you uh, these cards from two different decks. I like to work with the Smithwaite deck, and I also like to work with a deck called the Builders of the Aditum. Now, these are very different decks in that uh, the Smithwaite deck... Hey! There we go. No, that's not what I want. That's what I want. It's eventually. The robots, they will do my bidding. Um, I like to work with both of these decks. They are very different from each other, and here's why. Because before Pamela Coleman-Smith illustrated the Smithwaite deck, the Minor Arcana did not have pictures on them. She invented those images. Um, and the Builders of the Adidum deck just have the pips on the Minor Arcana. They do not have images. If it's four wands, it's just four wands. If it's four coins, it's just four coins. <clears throat> But their depictions of the Major Arcana are somewhat different and potent. And when you buy a copy of that deck, it comes blank. It's uh, black and white printed. Nice heavy card stock. And you paint or color the cards yourself to develop an intimate relationship with the symbolism on the cards. Very, very cool. Really great meditative study for folks who are taking a deep dive in tarot. But I also work with Smithwaite because, again, she illustrated over half the deck when no one else had ever done that before. <clears throat> Very cool. And also, this is a really popular deck. So popular that I would say, like, 80% of the decks that are in print right now in the world, independent or, or mainstream, are influenced by this deck right here. Uh, and so I like to just go back to the source <laughs> and just go back to the root of the thing and look at the images that, that she's working with. So we start with um, Aquarius. This sign is connected to the star card. Uh, then we move into the Fool, which is connected to Uranus. That's the ruling planet of Aquarius. And then we have Neptune, which is the modern ruling planet of the sign Pisces, which is our last card, the moon, hanged man in the moon. And in this, we are, tarot is like these incredibly potent flashcards that we get to work with um, that are just jam-packed with symbols. Um, it stirs up stuff in our subconscious it calls up stuff from the unconscious. Uh, and also, there's magical correlation and metaphysical correlation, too. That's cool. Um, and so what are we seeing? In the Aquarius card, we're seeing a person who is kind of at the end of an existential crisis, basically. Which, I mean, who hasn't been here? Naked, next to a stream, you know, right? Like, what even is anything, right? <laughs> we can all relate. And, um... And, but what we're really seeing is a person that has been stripped of their artifice. Now think about, um, you know, Inanna, right? Or Ishtar in their underworld journey being stripped of everything by the time they get to the bottom of the journey. Um, I often describe, and I talked about this also in the, the podcast this week. Um, I, I often think of the star card as being uh, correlative to 
the the poem or the the piece of writing uh called the the dark night of the soul by saint john of the cross I, i've said that for years and the reason is because in this card we have gone through darkness we have gone through heavy times uncertain times and we have experienced darkness as a thing that is harrowing, maybe frightening, confusing, destabilizing. And in that process, uh, we have lost connection with the things that give us hope or strength or guidance. And where that results in or where that delivers us is in a place where we begin to derive our own inner wisdom and we begin to follow our own inner path um, and our own inner truth. Guided by some of the universal truths, that's represented by those stars that are in the sky, but those stars are still pretty remote, right? So it's just us. We're with ourselves. Um, and in this process of discovering our own guidance, we can look foolish, People can look at us and think, wow, that is not the path I would have taken. That's not the way I would have dealt with that. Um, and we can become so involved in that process that we literally get hung up like the hanged one. Um, that we, but, but what's happening here, note that the tree is alive. This person is alive, right? They're not literally being hanged. Um, they are suspended. And so very similar to the vibes of in bulk season that we are suspended. We are in suspended animation. We are drifting through this experience and waiting for, uh, waiting for something, waiting for ourselves to surface, uh, out of the water and, and head back down the path, our own personal path, as we see in the moon. Um, but I want to, I want to read something to you and then I want to show you these four cards from another direction and, and, and another slightly different way of looking at this. So let me read this first. The star card speaks to a potentially hard time in our life, but one that is filled with promise. Envision the captain of a ship tossed on the Black Sea looking desperately for the North Star to guide them. When they get their bearings, they realize they are near the shore of a continent no one believes exists off the edge of the map. Incredible, right? Fantastic. Wow, I dreamt and here it is. But that is the captain's version. The other sailors on the ship think the captain has gone mad. Can the captain convince the crew to try for this new reality? Or will they abandon this course? The fool has found their guiding star and is going to follow this light no one else can see, even if, maybe especially if, it leads them off the edge of the known world. As we ascend from the underworld journey of winter, what truths, what realities, what epic dreams have presented themselves and will no longer be ignored or unlived? What happens when we destabilize the calcified areas of our lives? 
when we struggle with what our guiding star might be showing us, and we try to reconcile on a soul level what it looks like to heed that wild call, back in the mundane world, we work through how to deal with our people and ourselves when we choose to live by a philosophy that is shocking or upsetting to our people, past or present, right? Maybe it's the ghost of grandma who's like very upset with what we're doing right now. And how do we choose to communicate about it? Or do we choose to communicate about it? Is it confrontational? Do we not do it at all? Sometimes silence says volumes, and sometimes it is right to keep our mental chaos to ourselves. But moreover, there is something potent to letting an idea percolate and foment in the mind before sharing it with other people. But when we do speak our truth, we must have the conviction of the sacred fool who steps off the cliff. We have to believe it first before anyone else. Sometimes when we deviate from the plan, we find our path. Now, we can work with these four tarot. We can also work with these other minor arcana as we're moving through the two signs. Uh, the five, six, and seven of swords for Aquarius season. And the eight, nine, and ten of cups for Pisces season. But we're going to skip past that, and I want to show you this. This is uh, the same four cards, or these are the same four cards as those first four, but in a slightly different order. Um, and uh, this is these are the Builders of the Aditum deck. Note we're starting on the right-hand side and we're moving to the left. We're starting with Uranus, the Fool. The Fool is turning away from Source. That's the sun that's in the upper right-hand corner of the card. It's white with a golden glow around it. The Fool is turning away from Source, about to step off the cliff. And... What they're looking at, though, is the star that's in the next card. They're literally turning away from the source of information, and they are finding their own guiding light. And then they become this being that is without artifice, without uh, pretense, right? They've shed their wisdom. They've shed their experience. They are just their natural selves. And, well, they haven't shed them. That's not exactly correct. They've learned to balance them. We note that this being uh, is kneeling with one foot on earth or one knee on their er on earth. And then they have a foot on the surface of the water. And they're pouring jugs of water. There's our Aquarius symbol. They're pouring jugs of water both into the water and onto the ground. This is because they know that their experiences and their emotional uh, process and their intuitive process feeds the cycle, feeds the system. And they also know that it requires uh, 
you know, their own understanding of their lived experience and their own understanding of their intuitive experience to really like make a balanced uh, stance to make to to find balance in what it is that they're doing. That water that runs out of the star card is the continue is continued in the moon card. You can literally see it's the same pool of water. Um, and in the moon card, we are finding ourselves. We are coming back up uh, to the surface of the water after this deep existential dive that we have taken in this portion of the year. Pisces, water sign. Um, and we are coming up and we are finding our own path. We're not taking the path that anybody else has set out for us. We're discovering our own path. And it is going to pass through trials and tribulations and highs and lows and ups and downs and successes and setbacks and confusion and revelation. And it is also, it is ultimately going to lead us to the top of the holy mountain, which is our own personal enlightenment and our own personal opportunity to sort of, you know, be, right? And then ultimately we have Neptune, the hanged one. Uh, note that this person is dressed in blue and red, very similar to the blue water and the red jugs, the combination of that, right, container and the thing that is contained. Um, we see the double crescents there, which we know is a sign of in bulk season. We see the equal armed cross of manifestation in white on their, their you know, tunic or whatever it is that they're wearing. Um, even their legs are crossed. And, um, and note that this person's head is white, with a golden glow, just like the sun in the f very first card, the Fool card. And here now we have taken source into ourselves by this point in the process. Our head is also below ground, just like a seed. And in that first iteration, I talked about us moving through the darkness as this harrowing thing, the darkness being destabilizing, the darkness being this scary place where we don't know what to do or how to, how to be or like how to find our way. In this iteration, to me, the darkness may start that way, but by the end of this process, we come to see the darkness as the rich black earth that is waiting for us to plant ourselves in it, to sprout, to grow, and to become. And so something that initially in our process is destabilizing and frightening becomes home, becomes exactly where we're supposed to be, in the dark, in the black, in the rich soil of potential and possibility that is this coming year, that is the next cycle of whatever it is that we're about to do. Um, so just a little trip for you there. <laughs> just a little moment for you there. Um, and, you know, and I think that that is also really inherent in the work that we do in in bulk season is going from seeing something that is harrowing and frightening to seeing something as that same thing as this is the potential. This is the opportunity for me to come into what I'm here for, what I'm here to do, what I could ultimately be in this individual lifetime. No pressure, guys. It's just witchcraft. Everything's fine. We've got this. Okay. There's lots and lots and lots more writing in the book. We don't have time. It's already 8.57. I have rambled for literally 
nearly two hours. <laughs> so we are going to scoochy scooch very quickly. Um, I hope that was a nice meditative moment for you there. Um, our ritual forms. Uh, the big one here is doing anything to tend to the natural world and to take care of resources in your environment. Incredibly holy acts at this time. Spring cleaning. Do we wait for spring to clean? No, we clean in anticipation of spring um, and getting the house and our lives ready for whatever is about to happen. Um, and I highly recommend... Um, uh, walking in wild places. I will always say that for every uh, Sabbath, go take a walk in the wild places. It really is an opportunity for you to see what the earth is doing, how it's changed, how it's changing, and what it might change into. Um, another thing that's really potent for in bulk is clearing out old energy, part of that purification thing. And I know that I put fasting and diet change on here. I actually want to take that off this slide because... I, I, but I do highly recommend uh, clearing out your pantries. And I don't mean throwing food away. Eat it. Like live off of what you have and get rid of that old energy. Like utilize and use up all of the last bits of the energy from the old cycle. And then start to bring in new stuff. Um, yeah, definitely that. Okay. Um, meditations and a prayer uh, from our ancient Roman ancestors. I plant these seeds for myself and my neighbor. I love that. Uh, there's a prayer in here from me as well. Um, and a prayer or a poem from Alexander Carmichael as well. Okay. So our meditations, last but not least, a fresh new world is on its way. What new beginnings are you dreaming up? You are a sacred being and you can do sacred works if you choose to. How are you returning to and honoring your sources of power? And your deep wisdom allows you to see opportunity in the void of the black frozen earth what sacred seeds are you becoming what could happen this year all right my friends that is in bulk 2023 thank you for joining me for this live stream um if you have any questions email me uh, if you want access to the workbook, the slides, and all of the other supplementary materials, join my uh, Patreon at the Venus level and higher. Um, and folks that join at even higher levels get readings with me throughout the year and up to monthly uh, to be able to integrate this information on a more granular level in your personal life. Um, take care of yourselves. Uh, slow down in whatever way you can. Um, and do not rush death. Uh, Kaleic will take her time. If you don't give it to her, she'll take it. <laughs> and, um, this is her time. This is our time to be still, to dream, to drift. And I know that there's stuff happening and people are busy and there's shit going on in the world. I get it. Um, but in whatever ways you can give yourself a little bit of time out, 
a little bit of meditation, a little bit of a retreat, a little bit of a rescinding um, or a receding from the world, um, I deeply encourage it. And in whatever ways you can let go of your cynicism and your bitterness and your I know better and come into a I don't have any idea how this is going to roll out. So let me engage this unknown adventure all the better. All right, my friends. Blessed be.